Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We've got a fantastic program for you today because I think this is the future of fertility, utilizing products that are going to make your life easier, your farm more productive, your land more valuable, and also you're going to be able to capitalize on nutrient resources that right now I think, dare I say, are being underutilized. I'm talking about manure and I'm talking about utilizing the manure through drip irrigation. That's the subject for today. And uh, we got some fantastic guests because these guys know all about this. Kelly Garrett, Western Iowa farmer and co-founder of Extreme Ag, who has the product Netafim, which is the drip line irrigation in 370 of his acres that he farms. And he's going to talk to uh, the, the experience of using that product to hydrate his fields and then the future of using it to put in nutrients. We also have Kurt Grimm. He's the owner operator of NutriDrip. NutriDrip is an installer across about nine different states, everywhere from the plain states, as we call them, over to the Eastern Corn Belt. He is an installer of Netafim and a few other products, and that's the product that goes in your ground that would be a irrigation product that we believe is going to become more valuable for nutrient management. So Kelly Garrett and Kurt Grimm, two guys with the initial KG, welcome to the Extreme Ag Kind of Curve podcast. Good morning, Damien. Good All morning. Right. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, and by the way, dear listener and viewer, we're going to also be sharing graphics because Kurt has some really good graphics informative. So if you're listening to this, you may want to go back and watch the video of this because there's going to be some good, useful, and informative as well as illustrative uh, uh, graphics that Kurt's going to be uh, putting in the uh, pre- the program here in a little bit. Uh, Kurt, give me a quick and dirty here. Um Drip irrigation, you know, in the old days, you think of irrigation, you get center pivots. Uh, before that, you got what the, what the Aztecs were out there, you know, digging channels and, uh, and running stuff down a hill. All of a sudden, we're like, hey, we can do this better. We can do this more efficiently. Um, you started installing this product called Netafim, which is drip line irrigation win. And give me a little history on that. Sure. Okay. So we are uh, drip irrigation based in Northeast Kansas. And kind of our backstory, um, there's five boys here in our family. Um, we farm and we've been center pivot irrigating in Kansas um, since the 90s. And we had a, we, we had a small uh, property where we already had water developed. We had a pond and it was about 40 acres and we, the pivot wouldn't fit on that 40 acres. And so back wait, in wait, the wait, fall, a 40 acre pond would be a, would be a mid-sized lake. Excuse Meaning, me. It was a four, 40 acre field, 40 acre field that we had a pond for. Clarify that. There we go. Okay. So I uh, had a 40 acre field, had the water already developed for it in a pond and the pivot just didn't fit on it. So we got to looking into drip irrigation and this was the fall of 2012. Um, so we installed a field of our own first in 2012 and another little backstory. We also have a garden center and landscape company 
And we started that back in the 93, 94, and we got into hydroponic tomatoes. And so if you know anything about hydroponic tomatoes, it's a process where there's it's a soilless media. All the nutrients are fed through the irrigation water. And so when I was in high school, you know, we would tissue sample those tomatoes once a week. We could change the flavor of that tomato. We could tweak the nutrients going in. We could change the color of it based on what we were feeding through the water. So we put this first drip irrigation system in um, on, a, on a large scale, 40 acres, and the light bulb kind of went off that this is, a, this is a water delivery system, but more than that, this is a nutrient delivery system. And, and so especially in the areas where, where guys like Kelly are getting good amounts of rainfall, maybe they don't always need irrigation, but they always need nutrient delivery. So that's kind of the, the journey we started back in 2012. Um, and then it's just bloomed from there. We, we, um, we were looking for a way to diversify our landscape business. Um, and, and we actually started in a partnership with my brother, who's a Valley pivot dealer. Um, we were working together to start with. And then we, because the business models are different, we, we went our own separate ways, still work together, but different companies now um, and serve most of the corn belt um, installing drip irrigation. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the Western, the, the plain States all the way over to my home state of Indiana. <clears throat> I know as you cover <clears throat> real quickly to the person that's brand new to this and, and there are past episodes, dear listener, l- listener and viewer, you can go back and listen to uh, where we, we demonstrate this product. We call it, I call it drip line a drip tape even, but it's not tape real quickly before we go to Kelly and talk about how he's using your product. Uh, what's the product look like? Uh, it's, it's a little tube. I'd call it like a, a thinner, uh, bicycle inner tube with, uh, with ports every what, six or eight inches. Kind of walk us through that real quickly. Yeah. So it's either a five eighths or seven eighths, one inch diameter drip line. It's extruded plastic, high density polyethylene, same thing your drain tiles made out of. It has an emitter typically every 24 to 27 inches. Um, and then, there's pressure compensated emitters, non-pressure compensated emitters for different types of terrains. We can go up and down hills. Uh, we're burying it 12 to 16 inches deep every 40 or 60 inches apart. So it's a permanent system um, that's installed below tillage. Um, and so we're injecting those nutrients and water right at the root zone. Kelly, you have this product and Kurt's company installed it for your farming operation. When did you do this and what was the motivation? We installed in the fall of 15, so 16 was the first crop year we used it. The motivation was the drought of 2012. (laughs) And then I started to uh, investigate it, research it. I hadn't even heard of drip at that time. I heard of drip uh, at first in in January of 13. It took me two and a half years to find Kurt. I didn't meet Kurt till the summer of 15. He came to the farm twice. Um, First time was just him and I. The second time, my dad joined us. And after Kurt talked to us that second time, dad and I decided to try the first 80 acres and uh, what a whirlwind it has become. Yeah. So uh, obviously we've, we've always, we just talked about the other forms of irrigation. This is more intrusive, meaning you're going out there and you're installing, you're putting something in the ground as opposed to a center pivot thing. You drill, you you sink a hole and you put a a generator or electrical connection and then and all that you're going out and you're what Kurt just told us you're dripping, you're putting this drip every 40 inches on center, uh, throughout an entire field. Uh, this is a pretty big undertaking. Yeah. You know, I say it looks like a, a blue jet, a vertical tillage tool bred to a tile plow. That's what it looks like. And my lines are 60 inches apart, but my soil in Western Iowa, the water percolates really well. 
and uh, it it has been a real game changer. I would say we add we add another third to the crop on average. So when you look at it from a financial perspective, what land costs are, the the drip line, the system isn't going to cost you a, what a third of an acre is going to cost, but we're going to add the third of a crop. To me, it it's an easy investment to make because of what I get out of it. Yeah. So my part of the world, let's just use round numbers, a chunk of ground down the road sold for 9,300, I think let's call it nine to $10,000 an acre. So if you're putting in this product, you're saying that because of the bonus in terms of yield and uh, then getting better utilization of your resource that you already have because you can control the water and now nutrient management, it's safe to say you're throwing another couple thousand dollars of value easily on that. Is that what it costs to install? Yeah, we're in that $2,000, $2,500 an acre range now um, with systems. Okay. So again, if you got $10,000 acre of land and you're putting two to $2,500 worth of this stuff in there, like that's pretty significant. That's 25%. But as Kelly just yep. pointed out, you're going to make that up based on productivity. Exactly. Productivity and efficiency. And then, uh, you know, real quick, go ahead. Secure, well, you're talking about the security. You know it's going to rain. Uh, there's a value there as well. Okay, so 2012 drought year killed a bunch of us. Uh, you got inspired, and four years later, you're using this product. But it's more than just for uh, watering during a dry spell, and that's what we're gonna. That's really what the impetus of this today. We wanted to go through a little backstory about the product and about how it works, etc. But the big thing is this goes beyond just water. Kelly's already doing it for more than just water. He's dripping in some fertigation, some fertilizer right now, but we ultimately want to use the manure resource. Real quickly about the fertigation. How often are you putting stuff in there that's not just straight water? I really don't turn it on without fertigating just a little bit. You know, you're, you're spoon feeding that crop all the time. There's different, uh, different types of fertility that we will put in you know, we always want the fertility, obviously, but we want to manipulate the pH of the water. Uh, and I really don't turn the water on without something in it. Okay. And you're doing that from just, it's sort of a, a nurse tank that uh, then, you know, the water comes out of a, a well or a pond, and then it's got a little drip going into it. So many ounces per hundred gallons, whatever it is, and goes out there. Pretty easy to adjust. No big thing for you to do that, right? Absolutely. It's not difficult at all. So... Now we're going to start doing manure. Talk to me about this because I'm a big believer in manure. As long as we're going to have animal agriculture, we're going to have the manure byproduct. Uh, Kelly made a point in a past episode, Kurt, we used to take, take, treat manure like shit. And it's time to really realize the nutritive value, especially in this era, this environment of high cost fertilizer, we could be utilizing this resource better than we currently are. And that's where you're starting to do more of this with the uh, drip line irrigation product. Talk to me about what you're seeing and what you're starting to do and what you think is going to happen moving forward. Sure. So about four years ago, we were introduced to the concept of, of cleaning up manure to the point that basically removing all the solids and just being left with the liquid. Um, and it had been done in California, and we had some producers in Minnesota, Missouri, and Kansas that approached us that were interested in this. And, and so if you just stop and think about the idea of being able to put manure in the ground, no smell, no compaction, doing it during the season when the crop is going to use it. You look at the way manure is applied today, and, and there's a whole bunch of issues with 
runoff and with smell and you're you're applying it in the off season when no crop is using it it's subject to leaching it's subject to runoff and and so anything we can anything we can do environmentally and agronomically the benefits are they're they're fourfold and and so so basically what we've got to do when we go to a farm is we look at you know what does their existing system look like how what's the solids how do we get those solids out? And, and, and that's really the learning curve we're in right now is not all manure is equal. Getting those solids out can be a challenge, um, but we're learning what works where, and, and we've got some pretty good experience behind us. I want to get into all that, the, the physical part of it, because obviously, you know, manure is nine, depending on what kind of stuff you're talking about and whether it's an outdoor pit or an indoor pit under a confinement barn, you've got all sorts of different kinds of consistencies. Before we get into that, this is an important thing. I think the listener is probably going there also. I call it manure. You call it manure. And so does Kelly. He calls it manure. Now here's the thing. If it's, if it's clean, it's, Sure, it's not pure. If you're uh, absolutely certain of something, you are sure you're not sewer. So why is it that in the product of manure, you both put an EW in there when I put just a straight U? And I think the listeners probably with me. They're saying, you know, Damien, I was I was bothered by that also with this Kurt guy, and I heard, you know, uh, you know, and, and Kelly, he's a manure guy also. I think it's got to be a er, not a oor. But anyway, that's just me, Kelly. Say it just for the fun of it. What's that thing that comes out of a cow's butt? It's called Manure. Ah, see, he's an EW guy also. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I'm going to stick with manure, even though you guys are a ooer, ooer guys. Okay. Uh, about the product that you're, you've got so many variations. First off, between the, the species, you, you know, uh, there are some beef animals that are raised mostly are in feed yards, of course, but sometimes they're over pits. Almost uh, all the hogs in the United States of America are in some type of a lagoon arrangement. And then on dairy, you've got everything from some sort of pits under barns, then generally outdoor. There's a lot more water. Guy that milks cows that rents my land uh, has a lot of water in his manure because you get 38 inches of annual precipitation where I live in Indiana. And then the pits are outdoors. So you're talking about a huge swing of what you're pumping and then the nutritive value plus the amount of solids you're managing. Talk to me a little bit about that, Kurt. What do you, the management alone of just what the product that's going through the pipes? Right. So, so yeah, huge variation. And even in the, in the diet, um, we're seeing that in dairies, like dairies up North, what they feed their cows versus down South, there's a huge difference. So I guess kind of in a nutshell, um, without getting too complicated, anything that's in a lagoon is going to be easier to work with than what's in a pit. Um, so that's, that's number one. Um, most manure we see starts with somewhere between a three and 11% solids. Um, depending on if it's in a lagoon or in a, in a pit. And, and if we're in that 3% range, three to 4%, it's pretty easy to clean it up. Um, we've got a couple hog farms that we work with one in Kansas, one in Missouri that we've been running now for three years. And, and they're using biologicals to break down that 3%. They're running it through a regular sand media filter. There's no true solid separation involved in what they're doing. Um, besides just regular filtration, seeing media filtration, just like Kelly does pulling out of his ponds. So lagoons with biologicals and things breaking down, pretty simple process. You said three to 11%. That's a huge variation of solid content. If I'm at 11%, can I still run it through your system? 
you can, but you've got to have a couple additional steps. Um, and, and usually it's a two-step process. Step one is removing large solids, and then it goes into another machine, which removes fine particles and the really small solids. And so at the end of the day, we've got to get down to a point where we are at 120 mesh filtration. That's what drip line requires. So 120 mesh filtration. Hang on. Now you got, you got technical there on me. Even Kelly doesn't know what 120 mesh filtration means. What's 120 mesh filtration? Yeah. So 120 mesh is equal to 130 micron. So oh, for God's sakes, Kurt, you know what? <laughs> Didn't they ever tell you, uh, you don't explain a technical concept with no technical mumbo jumbo. All right, let's get simple then. So it's similar to a swimming pool filter. How's that? A, oh. a, a media filter on a swimming pool does about the same level of filtration. All right. So, so if you're familiar talking- with those sand pods. Okay. So what we're really talking about is even the, this solid stuff that we're pulling out of a manure pit under a barn or out of a lagoon, which of course is more diluted, it still has to go through a filtration system before it goes into our little five, eight inch uh, drips, because if it's, if it doesn't go through the filtration system, it'll plug up the line, right? That's correct. Yep. You got it. Yep. And it's going to be brown water. It's, it's not going to, we're not going to get it clean. It's not going to be clear. It's going to be very brown, look like coffee. Um, it'll smell, um, but it has the solids out of it. Um, so I guess maybe one note on that, then we're removing some phosphorus, um, for the most part, nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, a lot of those soluble nutrients are still going to be in the liquid. We do remove a fair amount of phosphorus. It depends on the manure. I've seen anywhere from 10 to about 50% of the phosphorus is removed through that solid separation process. Why do that's not something we want to do, is it? We'd rather have that phosphorus in the field, wouldn't we? Well, so here it, yes and no. So then you end up with a byproduct that's dry. It's going to look like corn silage. It's going to be about 70% moisture. And so now you've got a pile of this dry manure, rich in phosphorus that can now be hauled and it, it can be dry spread. So, so now you have another value added product that typically can be applied. Now you can haul that product, right? Now it's, it's feasible to haul it 30 miles or to sell it, or it, it, it has value to it. Yeah. And you're not trucking water. So Kelly is a, a big uh, you know proponent of looking forward of how you can get an extra dollars worth of value with a five cent investment. Uh, he's doing with his, his lime that he's getting out of uh, sewage treatment plants. He's doing all these other creative things. He's saying here saying, all right, it's been five years, five crop years that I've had my NetFM installed by NutriDrip on my acres. Presumably he's going to do it on more of his acres than he does than the 370 right now. Here's the tough part. He's not running any manure through his lines right now. What do you got? What, what's your long term here, buddy? Um, you, you, you're going to start buying liquid manure. What's, what's your thought on this? Because you don't have a dairy facility or a hog operation right now that you uh, can grab the manure from. You know, theoretically, if I purchased a system like Kurt's talking about to clean the manure, I could, uh, I could take it to a neighbor that has a hog set up. And I think that they would potentially be happy to get rid of it uh, just because they have a hard time uh, getting it all applied. And here would be a situation where they could, uh, they could, haul some manure out of their hog buildings wouldn't have to be in the spring or fall. You know, sometimes the weather plays a part. It's hard to get it all put on, you know, time is our most valuable commodity. And, you know, we, we could, we could apply manure 
during the growing season, which would make everybody happy and maybe take the pressure off of some buildings that uh, they worry about getting full. Yeah. Well, the seasonality part of it, you know, in the old days, uh, you know, you had your hog barns, you, you pumped them out uh, after the corn came off, you went out there and you, and you knifed it in whatever, you know, big old slurry tank behind the tractors. And then you pretty much, like you said, you had to do that stuff when the ground was fit in the fall, uh, generally only during the winter, if you got a hard freeze and then spring before the crops go in and then your pits are full benefit here is it removes all seasonality aspect of it because you can be pumping this stuff anytime, but you've got to have access to it. So you have the drip hog farm down the road does not. How are you going to, are we trucking this stuff now? What are we doing to get it from? Oh, where you, you know, you, you very easily could truck, you could truck the liquid and you could truck the dry if that hog farm would be uh, on board with doing that. The expense that those guys have to go go to to apply all that manure and the compaction the the almost the damage if you will that it does to the ground this is a great alternative yeah so do you see a day where um they're just running a line uh, a couple miles from the hog facility uh, running a pipe uh, a temporary hose across the ground to you to where then you can use it is that what happens yeah you know they're they're running umbilical cords now to try to reduce compaction, why couldn't they run an umbilical cord to a uh, drip setup? Uh, you know, it would be the same the same premise. Kurt, is that happening now? Uh, you know, from the standpoint of getting the manure from source to application. Yeah, so we've already got a couple dairies we're working with in Minnesota, and we're pushing close to a mile and a half. Um, they went ahead and, and, and invested and put in a permanent line. But yes, we've talked about doing, doing cords. We're also working with another dairy where they're looking at setting up a, a large 17,000 gallon tanker where the dairy um, has an issue where they don't have enough ground to apply the manure on. They want to expand, they're putting in a digester, you know, they're going after the biogas and, 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 and they're bringing in, actually bringing in municipal waste to, uh, to make a bigger digester and sell more um, renewable credits. Mm-hmm. And, but he doesn't have land, and, but there's a drip system 10 miles away, 300 acres already in the ground. They've teamed up, and, and now they're looking at the logistics of, of getting that, that product transferred. They'll clean it up the dairy and take a clean product to the field um, and inject it. But we did just, to get it 10 miles, we are using tanker trucks, which does have an environmental as well as labor component to it, which is especially an issue right now during these tight times on labor availability. Correct. Yeah. So there's obviously the, the, the most cost-effective systems are going to be the ones that are located. They're co-located, right? You're, you're able just to pipe it. And so I guess, yeah, maybe just to get in a little bit of the economics of it. So right now, most producers are paying between one and a half to three cents per gallon to apply um, their manure. And, and so if you take a, let's say you have a, a 2000 head hog confinement barn, there's a, probably around a million gallons of, of product to deal with there. So if you're paying a cent and a half a gallon, it's costing $150,000 a year to get that applied. Um, so if you were to apply that through drip, the operating cost, the true operating cost of pumping it's maybe five to $10,000. So all of a sudden you've got this huge um, annual reduction in expense because you've got a permanent system. You've got some capital upfront cost, but that ROI goes right to that drip system. Speaking of ROI and, and, and amortizing this over you know the long term, Kelly put the drip stuff in five. He's had five crop seasons. How many years is that good for? 
you, you know, everything, everything, you know, has, has a, uh, it can wear out. It could start to be a problem. How long is that stuff that's in the ground? Granted, it's not getting sunshine on it. It's not supposed to be getting ripped up through the tillage. So it's just down there in the soil. How long is it going to last? Yeah. So our best point of reference is West Texas. They've, they've got about a half a million acres of this under cotton and a lot of it's approaching 20 to 25 years old. Um, I will also tell you there's a system in Nebraska near York that we do maintenance on. And I believe it's at year 37 and they're actually looking at purchasing new filters because the system's running fine. They just want to upgrade their filters. So it's a, it's a 25 plus year investment. Um, as long as it's maintained properly, keep the emitters open. Um, it's, it's a long-term investment. This use utilization of manure resource is, like I said, it's hit, it's hit a lot of dialogue in the last six to 12 months because of what fertilizer prices are doing. Kelly, what are we going to do more of this? Are we going to get smarter about this? Because, you know, the old days you went out right behind the barn and spread your manure closest to the, the to the pen that we're getting smarter about it. I think, are we still there? Cause it doesn't seem like we are. Your, your more progressive operations are there. They're looking for alternative ways to find fertility. You know, like I've got my plant food product, my liquid byproduct. Yeah, Here, right. Here's another, this is, we're creating another liquid byproduct and we're creating a high value dry product. Your progressive operations will find more and more ways to do this. And the economics of the times will push people in that direction. It'll make people become more creative. <clears throat> what is the problem? What is the holdback? What, um, what is, is it just the cost? Is it the, the fact that we know we're, we're, it's a pretty significant thing to run and put all this stuff in there. What's the reason? Why are we not doing this? What's the holdback? Yeah. Well, I think we're still on the, we're still on the cutting edge, right? Like, so we've done this for two or three years. Um, but we're still, I feel like in pretty early stages, um, especially with deep pit hog barns, we have not done that a full season yet. Um, and we're still testing separation equipment. So I feel like that's going to be the biggest market. Um, the dairy thing, we were, let's see, this past year, we put in probably 500 acres for dairy. So we're, and, and, and that's scaling up pretty quick. I can see that that market's going to take off really fast um, because dairy guys are, manure for them is a headache. Um, it's, it's, it's on their liability side, not their asset side. They do not look at man, manure typically as an asset. They usually look at it as a liability. Um, hog guys, you know, they've got a little different mindset because a lot of those put a hog barn in just because they wanted, wanted the product. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so the mentality is different and we've still got some, some legwork to do to prove the concept, um, that we can clean that, that, uh, pit material up because that, that 11% solid stuff that comes out of a pit, that is a challenge. There's not a lot of water with it. Um, and so we've got to get that that cleaned up good enough to go through the drip line. Well, what's the, what, what do you do? You, you said clean it up. I mean, yeah. What are, you, what are you doing out here? So that stuff that comes out, it doesn't have a lot of dilution because it's, it's not outdoors. And so it's, 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 it's pretty thick. It's a little chunky. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So step one is it goes through a horizontal screw separator and the byproduct that comes out of that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, looks like corn silage. It's about 70% moisture, um, can be hauled, can be stacked, could be composted. A um, just for the fun of it, a horror. A horizontal screw separator, for God's sakes, man. I mean, would you just, uh, the vernacular here, okay? I got some guy listening to this that is in, like, you know, Illinois saying, 
Hey, Damon, I'm really glad that you're the one that played the dumb one because I didn't want to ask what a horizontal screw separator is. I mean, it's just the kind of thing where I go in my shop, I've got drywall screws, I've got metal screws, and I'm shaking it around. What the hell are you talking about, horizontal screw separators? Okay, so picture it as an um, 8-inch stainless steel auger. That's It's actually an extruder is what it is. So liquid, the, the slurry dumps in the top of it, Yep. It has a screen and then it literally presses the, the liquid through the screen. Okay. And then on the end of it, it creates what's called a plug. And so it, it removes those big particles. Okay. The problem right. is, is the screen has to be large enough to get, to get stuff through it and the liquid through it. And so it's still letting three to four to 5% solids through the screen that okay. are really small. So that's what the screw separator is it's getting the big chunks out, gets the hair out, which hair is a really big issue. Um, so it takes out the big particles. Yeah, you can't have hair going through these little five eighths inch lines, or you plug it up. I mean, look at your drain in your in your bathroom. So, all right. So <clears throat> when we do that, that's what's going. To, that's that's that then makes it so that the product can go onto our into our drip irrigation system. So okay, once we've got it through that, then we got to go through a second step, which removes those fine particles. And we're working with two pieces of equipment. Um, and Kelly's actually seen one of them. It was called a, a wham separator it was uh basically think of it as a, a spinning rotor like in a combine it's spinning 1500 rpms and it throws the liquid through a really fine screen okay. um like fine enough that when it comes through that screen it'll go through the drip line um and so that's one piece of equipment we're looking at and have been testing the last three months we took it to six different sites tested it on dairy beef and hog um and one was a slurry store, one was a deep pit um, hog confinement barn. So we're doing quite a bit of testing right now, testing those pieces of equipment out. The other piece of equipment we're working with is a shaker. Um, basically think of it as a big flower sifter. And uh, the screen is really fine. The, the solids stay on the top of it and it shakes the, it shakes the liquid through, the, the solids stay on top. So pretty simple piece of equipment. Um, that's what we're actually using on a couple dairies, but we're trying to gonna be testing that on hog manure here in the next six weeks. Uh, you described a bunch of stuff there and using that two grand to $2,500 an acre to put drip in my fields, it didn't touch the stuff. That's the infrastructure at the front end, including horizontal screw separators. Um, what, what are we adding on cost for that? Yeah, we're probably looking at another 25 to 50,000 in, in expense, um, at the, at the hog or at the livestock site. One of the models we're looking at right now is probably, especially for the next 12 months, is we're planning to have a portable unit where we can move this around, um, maybe set it at a facility for two weeks. We do all their manure, move it to the next facility. That would so be, yeah, that, that seems to me the thing, because now you're talking about something that you're not going to have a tremendous amount of fixed cost. Also, you don't need it every day. You need it for a few weeks a year. Uh, talk to me about the return on that, Kelly. 25 to 50 grand, you know, on enough acres, everything makes sense, but you don't even have, you don't even have the manure pits or the lagoons. So what, what, how's it work for somebody like you? So, well, like he's talking about there, a portable, a portable setup that you could go to different hog buildings, hog sites yep. and purchase that manure, purchase that fertility because that fertility is better. It's plant, it's nutrient available. It's plant available nutrition yep. that you can't go buy at the co-op in town. But, you know, you're talking 25 or 50,000 for the setup. If you look at the tractor and the applicator that you would need to put the manure on, uh, um, 
25 or 50,000 is pretty inexpensive. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you know, in ag, we, we toss around numbers so much. You, you, you know, your combine's a half million dollars with the right head on it. So what you're not really talking about that significant of a thing. Um, uh, we're going to see more of this, right, Kurt? Yeah, I think so. Um, just the environmental push, the the economics right now, it, it, it really makes sense on a lot of fronts. Um, one of the first, one of the first areas in Minnesota that we've made a lot of traction all had to do with smell. Like the, the product was smelling so bad when they were applying it through pivot or even drag line, they weren't getting it all in the, you know, it's almost impossible to get it all in the ground. Um, and, and so you have the smell aspect, you have the runoff aspect. There's just a lot of environmental pushes that are going to push guys in this direction, as well as that time, that time frame and the, the window of application. Um, you know, there's a lot of regulation, I think that that's on the table, um, that kind of scare some of these livestock producers. Like if they start saying you can't apply after September 15th, well, what are you going to do then? You know, what's your, what other option do you have? Right. Yeah. So now, now it, t- it takes care of that. Speaking of environmental, uh, any pushback from, Oh, well, this handles the smell and, and runoff issue, but you're also putting it uh, that much closer to the water table because now you're putting this down at that 14 inch uh, horizon in your soil. Yeah, absolutely. So um, several of our first fields that are kind of our pilot projects have pattern tile underneath of them. And so we're actively collecting samples on those, making sure that we're not pushing anything down into the, into the tile lines. Um, when we went to permitting um, in Minnesota, South Dakota, that was definitely something that got brought up even in Iowa. And, and the, the answer to it is, is that we would never inject it into a saturated soil. In other words, if, if the soil's full and can't hold it, you would never turn this system on. And so we're going to use soil moisture probes to verify that when we turn it on and inject it in the soil, there's room in the soil and the plants are removing it. So we're going to do this in July and June and August, you know, when that plant is, is drinking. And so the, the, and the other thing is we're not going to put it in concentrated. So it does have to be blended with water. Um, so it's not a hundred percent manure going in. We're probably blending it, you know, 50% manure, 50% water, maybe, maybe 25% manure, 40 or 75% water. So it will be blended um, with water to get it to go through properly. Kelly Garrett, the thing that's going to, you, you're, you're, you want this. Uh, the limitation right now is just the uh, getting, getting the manure from the facility to your uh, fields. Because it, it, you know, even on the expense of the fifty thousand dollars, like you said, over enough acres that becomes very, very uh, amortizable. Um, what, is there any? What's the limitation? What, what keeps Garrett Land and Cattle from doing this across more acres? Uh, from from a drip system or from a newer system? Manure manure through drip, and then we'll go to the drip. You, you would you? I, I assume your answer is going to be you want more drip acres. As time goes on, you're going to be doing more drip acres, right? What, Time goes on, we'll be doing more drip acres, and I think also as time goes on, there will there will become a time where I will purchase manure to do this or take manure from a facility. I think the environmental push, as Kurt said, there's there's pressure or the thing. You know, our world is changing on many fronts. Mm-hmm. There's going to come a time potentially where we can't uh, surface apply this manure. It needs to be applied in a different manner. There's going to come a time with supply chain and expenses where we might not be able to affordably get MAP or potash or, or different nutrients. And we need to recycle what we have. Yeah. So the world is a changing place. And right now I would say the limiting factor 
is how proactive or progressive people will be. People are slow to change. They don't like change. That's the biggest holdup right now, just like it is in many areas of agriculture or other industry. But going forward, we will be forced to change. I believe that. And we will be forced to change because of economics and because of environmental. Yeah. yeah, I'd say the environmental, uh, unfortunately, you know, even on area in Iowa, there's still going to be environmental pressure. Certainly yeah. not as bad as if you're, if you're five miles outside of the Metroplex of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and you've got 5,000 dairy cows. Of course, those people have been under the, they've been under the gun for years now on smell and water, et cetera, et cetera. Kurt, what do you see happening with this? I mean, granted it's your company. You're growing, you, you know, since that first, uh, first time you, you got into this, what, uh, 10 years ago, you're growing, you see this continuing to grow. Um, I see this on more acres because of all the reasons we just talked about. And I'm not talking about just from nutrient management, from manure. I mean, just from water management, water's going to be, uh, this is a more efficient way of putting water in the soil than center pivots. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it, the, the demand and the, the phone calls coming in right now are, are, are definitely filling the pipeline up. I think there's, there's a, a huge amount of growth potential here as farmers look at water, nutrients, manure, Wait, man, you're whatever. Saying you're, you're saying you're too busy. Should Kelly and I start a competitor to you <laughs> and start doing this? Because is it just that good? I mean, are we just out here like printing money? Is it that good? No, it's not that good. I'll just, I'll just say that it's not an easy business to be in. Um, it's seasonal. I mean, that's the challenge, right? Like we're like, just like installing drain tile. Um, you know, your window to window to install is so small. Um, and then by June 15th, everything's got to be up and running. So on the doing the manure thing, there's what's the one thing that needs fixed until this becomes like, Holy crap. Once we got that handled, then it was go. Is there, is there still one thing? It sounds yeah. like it's inconsistency of product. I think is probably the challenge, right? Yeah. The, the deep pits have given us a, a challenge for sure. Um, we've made a lot of progress just in the last couple months. Um, we've got one more piece, one more test to do. Um, here in the next six weeks. And once we have that completed, I think we'll have a, a package that will fit on any farm. I mean, right now we go to a farm and it's like, okay, we can work here, but not here. This will work. This won't. We think we're getting close to where we have a solution for, for every, every operation. Kelly, next year, fertilizer prices are going to come down. We're going to fix our supply chain woes. The whole world's going to be more normalized. Does this make sense one year from now? Because right now everybody's scrambling. Oh my God, nitrogen, phosphorus, everything's too expensive. But a year from now, when fertilizer prices come down by 50%, is the pressure off? It's like, ah, it was a neat idea, but you know what? I ain't doing it. Or does this have staying power for other reasons? This has staying power because it's still a, it's very cost competitive versus what we're doing now with the manure. So even if the, even if your fertilizer costs come down, that might slow down a little bit of it, you know, reaching other areas, but the, the people with hog manure and dairy manure right now, this is a very cost competitive way to apply it. And then we get into the environmental aspect. That's not going to go away, even with the cost. So yeah, this has staying power. Yeah, I'd say so also because it's 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 a better way of managing a, pro, a byproduct that we have to manage anyhow. And uh, exactly. with the environment, with the environmental uh, pressure, I'd say that that's the reason it stays with us. What did we not discuss, Kurt? That we should have. What one thing or two things did we not mention without getting overly technical using industry vernacular that the average person doesn't know? What one thing or two things did we not cover that we should have? Yeah. So one thing off the top of my head is, um, organic producers. So this has been a really big push for the organic guys, um, that want, you know, they've got a high, higher value product, 
um, in the, in what they're selling and, and they have to use manure anyway. And so this has been a really big push in that, in that realm. So if you've got producers out there that are in the organic uh, business, uh, definitely something to take a look at. That's a one or two year payback for those guys. Yeah. The point is they're, they're not able to use chemical fertilizer. And so you, you're already in a business model that you're making more premium on your crop, but you've got to have the fertilization and you can't use uh, conventional uh, means. So you're probably going to say that anybody that's going about certifying organic it takes what three years, start by putting the drip in that way. It's, it's already rolling by year three and four when you're approved. For sure. Yeah. Or if they've already got acres certified, we've done a lot of that, put drip in on acres that are certified. <clears throat> Kelly, is there anything that we didn't cover that we should have? Is there any topic on this that we didn't quite address because you've got 370 of these acres you're going to in 2022, are you going to be running manure through those, any of those lines? Potentially, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to see if we can go forward. We'll have to see if we can get one of my neighbors to, uh, want to, want to partner up as Kirk said, but, uh, uh, I would be very interested. In yes. Is there any last thoughts, Mr. Grimm? Yeah. Our website, NutriDrip.com. It's N-U-T-R-A-D-R-I-P. Um, it's a great resource. You can get a hold of us there. Um, yeah. Every situation is a little different. So definitely reach out. We'd be glad to discuss the specifics of any, any operation. Yeah. And I, I see, I see this being more and more in the future. So I, I think that there's a lot of reasons that it works and it sounds like you're really working through all that. My name is Damian Mason. His name is Kurt Grimm. He just told you go to Nutra drip. You know, Kelly Garrett, he's one of the founders of extreme ag. If you want to up your farming game and get great information like this, make sure you check out past episodes of cutting the curve at extremeag.farm. Share it with your agricultural friends. If you'd like to take it to the next level, you can become a paying member. And I'm not talking about a lot of money of extreme ag and have direct access, exclusive access to the founders of extreme ag. You'll also get other special bonuses. Be sure to check out stuff uh, at extreme ag and share it around extreme ag.farm. And also check out Kurt, because you know what? It sounds like he's got some options for you for fertility and nutrient management till next time. Kelly Garrett. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Damien. And Kurt Grimm. Thanks for being here, my friend. You bet. Thank you. All right. Till next time it's extreme ag's cutting the curve. That's a wrap for this episode of cutting the curve, but there's plenty more. Check out extremeag.farm where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.